Good day. Recent events have indicated a troublesome increase in the presence of anti-Semitism throughout many aspects of our current culture. This comes amidst growing concerns in general regarding the number of hate crimes happening in the United States and a level of divisiveness that many are saying is unprecedented. David Goldman is the executive director and general counsel of Congregation Emmanuel in San Francisco and joins us now. David, thank you for being with us. Really glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. So, David, a recent report distributed by the Anti-Defamation League recounted some very alarming statistics. According to that report, there's been a 36% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in the United States since 2022, mm-hmm. and currently it's tracking at the highest rate since 1979. So you're uniquely positioned, I'd say, in your position with the congregation to provide some perspective uh, as to the impact of uh, this trend on the Jewish community in general, as well as some insight into the concerns being addressed by the Jewish leaders in your community. And before we get into the substance of some of those questions and insights, I want to take a step back and just start with a foundational question. In plain English, what is anti-Semitism? Well, I'm going to start out by, in classic form, not answering your question directly. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's funny. I, I've got a couple definitions, and none of them are, are like plain English. But, you know, we're used to, like, legal definitions, right? If you want to know what sexual harassment is, you can look at the federal law. You can look at the state code. Sure. There's no legal definition. So I started... You know, it's one of those terms that people talk about, like they know what they mean, but you start looking for a definition, it starts becoming, you know, a little opaque. So the State Department, our United States, uses a definition which they adopted from the Multinational Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. And I'll just read it to you as is, and you can tell me if it meets the definition of common sense or or not, or plain English. Anti-Semitism is certain perceptions of Jews which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews, rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, toward the Jewish community, or Jewish institutions and religious facilities. There's a little bit of a mouthful, and when I, I've read it over a few times, and they've got you know a whole laundry list of examples, but you know the plain English part, I guess the answer to your question for me boils down to you know, it's any time that you're engaging in negative opinions, negative behavior about Jews as Jews, you know, as a member of, of a group, as a member of a culture, as a member of a religion, as people that are associated with Israel, as a particular example. Well, I would say both definitions meet the common sense application of the understanding. The first is pretty powerful. The second is very applicable to just how we need to proceed with an understanding of it in our culture. David, you've been working in the employment sector for quite a few years at this point, and you've been with the congregation for, what, almost a decade now? Almost 10 years. So how would you say things are different now than they were when you first started at the congregation 10 or so years ago? I'll I'll give you kind of a meta answer, and then I think a couple of bullet points to flesh it out a little bit. You know, I think that uh, the basic answer is, you know, 10 years ago, people, for the most part, weren't scared. And they are now, right? I mean, that is just kind of the fundamental 
kind of gut reaction change in attitudes that there are always certain people that were concerned about anti-Semitism. Some Jews more so than less. I honestly, myself personally, was always on the kind of lesser end of that scale. You didn't get that sense of, I'm scared walking into a Jewish institution. And you get that now in a way that you never did before. And, you know, as I was kind of thinking about like why that is, it, there are three things that really seem to me that have changed. One, you flagged it at, at the beginning. There is a rise just in the pure amount of anti-Semitic incidences being recorded. You mentioned the Anti-Defamation League that's been doing it for many, many years. The FBI had been as well, although their last couple of years, their data is a, a little bit fuzzy. So one, just the pure amount. I should know that part of the reason the increases look so high is that they actually were going down for many years in the early aughts and then picked back up again in the, uh, you know, the 2016 and beyond. And I think that's one of the reasons that kind of leads to that kind of feeling of, of fear, like, well, look, things are getting better and now they're going in reverse. So just the, the pure amount. There's also, I think, an increase in the intensity of the incidences. It's more than just maybe a, a comment that might be, you know, inappropriate or not as sensitive as you want it to be. You really see things that are hateful, that are more direct threats. The type of conspiracy theories that you thought were long gone all of a sudden are rearing their, their head again. And then the third one is it has become movement-oriented. Where a decade ago, there might be an individual that harbored anti-Semitic beliefs or had a problem with Jews or just didn't understand, and they might be out there. Now it feels like it is really part of a movement. Certainly the national right-wing movements come to mind that it is part of their ideology. And that ideology is now in the news that you see. And even to a certain degree, certain left-wing organizations, more so with their attitudes toward Israel, but it doesn't feel anymore like it's just an isolated person, that it is something that has now been part of movements. And then with social media's ability to just amplify all of that, maybe that's a fourth element to it as well. Interesting to hear you say that. The word movement carries with it a very strong perception of you know, harboring hatred, exhibiting hatred, and to me it suggests an interest in, in the, the counter to the movement. So in your experience at the congregation, you occupy various roles, right? You're the executive director, the, the general counsel. Even those two probably have different perspectives that they supply you with. You're also a member of the congregation itself, right? And a in the wider sense, a member of the Jewish community in and around the congregation. So from those various vantage points, perhaps even one at a time, how do you see the fear that you talked about manifesting? What impact is it having on each of those communities as a result of this rise in anti-Semitic behavior? Yeah. I'll start with just the, the personal, you know, and I mentioned this before. I was one that I've suffered through my years, the occasional remark, the occasional inappropriate comment, the question of like, oh, come on, do you really have to ask me like now? That type of stuff. But it never, at least as an adult and particularly in California, it just was not something that occupied much of my time, you know, mentally. And it does now. 
when I go to a Jewish event or events where there are Jews, I, I like think about it. Ah, something's going to happen, then I like put it out of my mind. But it, it crosses my mind, and it does start to weigh on you. And I know that you know a lot of our members. When I talk to folks about their work experience, they think about that as as well. You know, as a manager of an institution, I will tell you we have spent a lot more time in money, in effort, in mental bandwidth on security issues. We've always had it, but it's something that has become a primary focus of what we do to make people not only be safe, because even with the rise you're, you're talking about, if you break the numbers down, and I want to be a little bit of a non-alarmist in this, if you break those numbers down and you look at the number of incidents in any particular area, with very few exceptions, it's super small number. If you look here in the Bay Area, then I, there may have been a physical incident last year, whole Bay Area. So the numbers look bad in the increases, again, because they go down. So a lot of it is the feeling of being safe as well as actually being safe. So those are you know, just two different perspectives. It's interesting. I mean, as small and perhaps narrow as that population impact might be, I think a lot of us are experiencing it in little day-to-day ways. We either know somebody who's being impacted or being rendered uh, afraid because of what's happening in the culture, what's in the air. I myself, I'm a member of the local JCC where I go generally just to work out. But I've had some heartbreaking moments there where I've got in and there's been a threat that they've taken very seriously as they should, and everything changes in the climate there, obviously. And perhaps the toughest thing to see or experience is, and I think you have this on at the congregation, there's a school on premises at the JCC. And to see how little kids have to react and be taught to how to react to this these threats is heartbreaking and alarming and mind-changing. Have you had that experience there? Yeah, no, it, it's it's a great point. And it, it gets to something I said earlier about, you know, with the news media the way it is versus social media the way it is, stories that you may not have heard of until they were vetted, until you really knew what was going on, until all the facts were, or at least more of the facts come in, are just now bombarded. And so the minute any incidents happened, everyone's phones blow up, everyone's text messages blow up, and you just get this immediate alarm reaction from people. You know, we have to do training with small kids, with our preschool teachers, are now the teachers we spend the most time with doing drills and things of that nature. When any other Jewish community feels attacked, you feel attacked because you know that it's not an isolated instance in that, you know, as you said, even if the numbers aren't there in your community, it weighs on Certainly. If we stood back and and looked at, let's say, some wider context and brought in the knowledge of current and even historic facts pertaining to anti-Semitism as a unique set of circumstances and experiences, is that helpful or not as we consider this trend right now in the context of forms of discrimination and racism that we also currently face? I think it is. I was thinking about this as... You know, as you indicated, I've been I've been working in the kind of employment law space for years and done work with a lot of organizations about preventing discrimination and harassment. 
And I can't remember in all those years ever really working in anti-Semitism into any programs I ran or advised on, you know, that dealt with harassment or discrimination. I mean, I must have, but I can't really remember ever doing it. And that really is a reaction that I get from a lot of people when I talk to them about their workplace experiences, where a very common sentiment is I'm the first person who the Jewish community is the first person to be there where there's Asian Pacific Islander hate, where the LGBTQ plus community is being attacked. But yet, and, and that's all right, but yet at work, I never hear our employers talking about it. I never hear my manager recognizing that that's a concern that I might have. And then, and this is, you know, going off something that, you know, a colleague said works for a Bay Area employer that if I mentioned the name, you would know of it very large, that when they did bring it up, they said, oh yeah, that, that that's a good point. And then went and started to talk about all the other types of discrimination, violence, and never said anything about anti-Semitism. So it was like the whole thing was ignored. And so you feel like, first of all, now it's not being brought up. So now it's on me to bring it up. But yet when I bring it up, I'm either ignored or kind of even pushed aside a little bit. So I think recognizing it as something that goes along with the same type of attention that we pay rightly so to gender discrimination, discrimination based on race and the other things that we deal more frequently. So that, that's one perspective. On the other hand, those things are different, right? And so you don't want to just treat them all the same. The experience of African-Americans and what they have with the police is just a lot different than what most Jews have to deal with. It's interesting, too. I, I'd have it the world of workplace training yeah. uh, in my position at Lidler. And we find when, let's call this a hot-button issue, right? I'll say that. So this is a currently a very hot-button issue, right? But if you bring it up in the context of that kind of training, sometimes the worry is that you're diluting the severity of other hot-button issues. Right. And others might react to that and say, well, why aren't you placing similar focus on this or that? Or they bring that energy to, to the response of it. It makes it sometimes a difficult message to really effectively get across and teach from and to. Yeah, I, it, it is. It's a shame we're at a point in our society where people have a feeling it's a zero-sum game. But you do hear that a lot where my acknowledging my pain means we don't have time for yours. You know, acknowledging my concern means that yours is, is less. And I hope we're not at a point where there's such a paucity of empathy that the pie has to be divided such that all the pieces are just so, so small. Because the concern is, is real. I speak to people all the time about their workplace experiences and I hear stuff from the mundane stuff about, yeah, I, I still get, you know, views are cheap or, you know, assuming that there's kind of a nepotism within the Jewish community. So if Jews get hired, well, of course they did because they know X do things that are much more concerning and much more extreme, like we were talking about at the beginning. Sure. Those stereotypes continue to apply. Yeah. Well, you're working at the congregation and it is itself a workplace, right? So in your role there, just as someone who's in command of the workplace, shall we say, as the executive director. Right. Yeah. 
you've observed how the workplace itself, I would imagine, could be impacted. And what, what have you seen there just from an employment sector, the folks who work within, beyond the school, but just the, who come in day-to-day to administrate at the congregation, there an impact there? Yeah, it, it's interesting because we have a lot of non-Jewish staff at the congregation um, in, in all sorts of roles. So it, it creates an, an environment where we actually get to do some teaching about what the concerns are of the Jewish population. It actually provides, it is a unique environment where we really have the ability to to reach out to people that might not know. And then one of the most common comments I get from our employees that aren't Jewish is that you know they just weren't aware that this was going on. And they feel it now. We we did have an incident here a year ago where someone was trying to get in and really just, I, I can't repeat them on the podcast, just screaming at the call the police and removed and was one of our non-Jewish employees who really had to bear the brunt of it. Uh, it was out front and had to try and calm the person down and is actually, you know, nominally in the police case is, is the victim of it. And so, you know, they've feel it, everyone feels it, regardless of their religious orientation, their national background, go down the list. It's interesting to hear you talk about how you have applied constructive messaging to your own employment community at the congregation. So I'm wondering within that context, what do you feel has hit the mark? What works successfully and constructively in offering that message to your employment population? What's raising their ability to empathize, understand, and in the best case scenario, effectuate perhaps even a change in their behavior, how they're all interrelating, if anything. I said before a little bit on it talking openly about what's going on and how people are feeling. I also think, you know, you mentioned it before, instead of trying to divide up the pie and say that, you know, your pain, if we acknowledge your pain, it means that mine can't be addressed, is to go the other route. And to make sure that all employees who work here are individuals and have a chance to recognize the concerns that they have as well. And so, you know, we don't just focus because we're a Jewish organization on anti-Semitism. We focus on all the other things that you talk about as well. And so really being incredibly careful that just because anti-Semitism might be our primary concern, because a lot of the employees are Jewish, we're a Jewish institution, that that doesn't lessen at all, you know, our efforts to address other types of hateful acts. You know, whenever there's, for example, you know, in San Francisco during the pandemic, horrible increase in the incidents against our Asian American community. And we held rallies here at our synagogue for that. We have a lot of uh, Asian American employees and members as well, and making sure that we were first on that. So I think it's the approach is the opposite of, well, if we're dealing with your concern, that means my can't be addressed, is to recognize that to deal with my concern, I have to deal with yours as well. It really goes to empathy, as you mentioned before, and the power of empathy is key to these kinds of messages and the kind of changes you'd like to effectuate. I mean, it's a connection to an understanding, a level of understanding that is real and to do that, yes, you can apply across the board and relate to others who have experienced all sorts of similarities and how they have maybe experienced being the other, 
being othered, being not part of whatever favored group there seems to be functioning in their community. You mentioned something that's on my mind as I'm speaking, which is the uh, the movements before, and then you mentioned the attacks in the Asian community that we were aware of, uh, particularly a year or two ago, and still ongoing, unfortunately. But yeah, still ongoing. It seems like there, maybe I'm attaching this to your concept of of the movements you mentioned before, which is still a powerful image in my mind. And in that case, it felt like the political leadership of the country, not to get too political, but there was a message coming from the political leadership that was a movement in itself, or at least enabled the feeling of rallying around this message of anti-Asian functionality, anti-Asian beliefs that the pandemic had originated, what was it being called, the Asian flu or the Chinese pandemic? Right, yeah. That that seemed to embolden people to operate in this way. Yeah, I, I think back to those Charlotte rallies that kind of set off you know, some of this where you know people were chanting, Jews will not replace us. And I think that you could have replaced Jews with Asians. You could have replaced Jews with, you can go down a list of, of ethnicities there. And I don't want to say this is a silver lining because saying a silver lining doesn't mean that it's good that any of the things happen. But, you know, at least within those two communities, there's been a recognition that we are in this together. And a lot of the same forces that were driving up the hate crimes against the Asian American community, as you said, it has not gone back down, very similar to anti-Semitism, are really coming from the same place. They feel like we keep getting back to this, this theme, but the place of certain Americans that for them to win, these other communities have to lose. And that may be a bit of where it's coming from. And I think it's probably less an issue of empathy, more an issue of politics and economics. Interesting. When you first uh, raised the notion of a movement, my initial thought was you were going to talk about the movement that has rallied around the counter-messaging to anti-Semitism in our culture right now. And I'm wondering if you have experienced, it It feels like that's what you were just getting at, that there is a potential for a movement of common rallying in counter protests to the energy we're getting around anti-Semitic and, and like kinds of destructive behavior. You know, I, I hope so. I really do. You know, I have seen it in, in my work where we have done more outreach and more joint events with the Muslim community, with many of our Christian colleagues of all different races and ethnicities and, and national origins. Because I do think there is this shared understanding, getting back to something I said earlier, that these are no longer incidences of just an individual not having the right information or bearing bad beliefs. There's something out there that can't be solved on an individual basis. It has to be solved with a group effort. And you know, I actually think work can be part of that. The workplace can be part of that solution. It is the area where people have to work together. You have to like your employees, but you do have to work with them. And where you can get people's attention and where you can do the types of proactive measures that are just hard to do generally in, in a community. So I really do think workplaces, if you work in these particular situations as Part of what you're doing to address situations of harassment and bias and, and diversity, that it can be a breeding ground for the solution as well uh, is part of the solution, I guess. 
That's so interesting because I think of that often when I'm doing some work with employers that their communities come to work and there's even implied there's a policy of mutual respect that that's grounded in the workplace that one must engage in mutual respect with their employees to operate successfully. Now, you don't have to necessarily even like the person. You certainly don't have to love the person. Yeah. You have best friends in the workplace, but you have to work in a way that allows respect, supposedly will allow others to thrive successfully, and I'm not going to get in your way when I work. So if you boiled it down to something like a workplace setting and some of the training messages that we could convey in a workplace setting, what do you think might be the most effective element of anti-Semitic related education that could be delivered in a workplace setting? Yeah. I, you know, I have debated on on this of whether, you know, specific programs by themselves or on their own, you know, dealing with anti-Semitism are more effective than, you know, working it into your regular policies of regular practices dealing with in general discrimination, harassment, and diversity. And, you know, I really, I don't have any evidence on, on this. I don't, you know, I don't think they're certainly understudy. So it, I, my reaction is just my gut one is that it really is the latter approach is, is better. And probably one that most Jews that I talk to would feel most comfortable with, you know, as opposed to something that is just focused on them is just wanting to be heard as recognizing that our problems are part of the problems society is facing. The concerns that we're having are part of the concerns that people have at work and they bring to work. And then really making sure that as you're rolling out your diversity, anti-discrimination, anti-harassment measures, that this is really now part of the equation because it is. Those are encouraging words to end on, David. I want to thank you for spending time with us today and sharing your insights. Yeah, it it's really been my pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad you asked me to do this and that you're you're shining a light on really an important issue that's been, I think, underserved in the workplace in particular. Well, here's hoping that you and those within your community and really the entire community of the neighborhoods we both live in can experience some peace within turbulence that we seem to be experiencing in these relatively troubled times. So I wish you well. Thanks for your insight. Thank you. My pleasure.